Jerry Rothenberg. Or Jerome. What do you prefer? Uh, in conversation, Jerry. Okay. Yeah, on, on the book covers. On the book covers, so Jerome. Far, Jerome. Okay. So we're going to have a conversation, so we're okay with, with Jerry? That's perfect. Or how about Jerry Jerome? No, uh, no, no. No, no. Okay. <laughs> too much. That's too much, okay. Jerry uh, Rothenberg is an American poet, translator, and anthologist noted for his work in the fields of ethnopoetics and performance poetry. He's perhaps best known for his, what would we call this, uh, an anthology? Well, it's usually called an anthology. Yes. I have a preference for calling these things assemblages. Okay. Uh, because they're, 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 there's something in the nature of, of anthology uh, that I find. Or, but um, I'm more comfortable with assemblage. Assemblage, okay. Yeah, except it depends on the occasion. Uh, it's, a, it's a little too, too fancy a designation. Too yeah. precious. Too yeah. precious. Okay. An anthology or assemblage mm. called Technicians of the Sacred, published first in 1968. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Uh, thank you. I'd like to start off with a quote from Nicholson Baker's The Anthologist. It's a novel. It's about a page, okay, so it'll take a little while. But, uh, and when it's all done and you flip through, you look at one of the poems that you've picked and you realize that there was really just one stanza in that poem or even just one line in it that was the reason you included it and the rest of the poem isn't as good. For instance, they flee from me that sometime did me seek, or I had no human fears, or ye littles lie more close, or the restless pulse of care, or give me my scallop shell of quiet. And you think, maybe I should have made an anthology of single lines. Would that have worked? But then if you stare for a while at one of the single lines, stare into its rippling depths where the infant turtles swim, you realize that there's usually one particular word in that line that slays you. That word is so shockingly great. Maybe it's the word sometime. They flee from me that sometime did me seek. The little two-step shuffle there in the midst of the naked dancing feet of the monosyllables. Or maybe it's the word quiet. Give me my scallop shell of quiet. Do you hear the way scallop is folded and absorbed into the word quiet? I'm almost finished here. Okay. That's fine. And so then all of your amazement and all of your love for that whole poem coalesces around that one word quiet, four beat line by the way, and you notice, uh oh, there's another word in the same, the very same line that you don't like as much as the word that you do like, give, hmm, give. You've never liked give all that much. It's a bad word, frankly, give. And so you think, maybe I should have made an anthology of individual words taken from the poems like this. Sometime, Thomas Wyatt, or quiet, Sir Walter Raleigh. And of course, that's not going to work. That's just a bunch of disembodied words plucked from the great poems. And that's when you realize you're not an anthologist. <laughs> so I wonder if you could tell us what is an anthologist? Uh, well, uh, I mean, first, there are many kinds of anthologists. Uh, there's something 
since we used the, the word before, something a little precious about uh, you know that a, a, a approach to uh, to the anthologist. Though maybe people who do anthology sometimes have uh, you know precisely those thoughts in mind. But it, it, it feels to me dif distant from uh, what I take my work to be with. Uh, a form that's you know most easily referred to as an anthology, you know, rather than an assemblage, of, um, and uh, I don't tend to be finicky about you know about individual words or uh, uh, looking back at poems you know that I assembled, put together into uh, into an anthology. You know, I don't think that thoughts like that would ever occur to me that. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking to pick uh, uh, anthology. I, th I think originally means it's something like a collection of flowers. I'm not into uh, you know that approach uh, to anthology because I'm probably not into that kind of approach uh, to uh, uh, to poetry. Mm -hmm. uh, so I uh, my, my own uh, sense of anthology. There are various collections. You know, one is uh, you know the refined or pretending to be, uh, you know, re refined uh, uh, collections. Kind of a his historical survey then? Uh, his, well, historical survey. Uh, anthology today is, uh, uh, you know, very often taken as a, a basic teaching device, uh, you know, for literature uh, mm -hmm. classes. And so uh, uh, in the States, and this probably comes up into Canada as well, uh, the Norton anthology of this and that, uh, you know, specifically uh, designed for teaching purposes, uh, setting certain forms of uh, listings of, of accepted and important poems, and mm -hmm. uh, you know that which in the academy is called the canon, uh, mm -hmm. canonicity. Kind of a, a convenient, uh, efficient way of pulling together. What's accepted is great. Uh, yeah, for myself, I, uh, uh, with technicians of the sacred, uh, I saw the uh, the possibility of using anthology uh, as a way of going against uh, accepted yeah. notions of poetry. Because I was a part of a generation that you know that was trying to uh, you know find new ways uh, to write poetry, to make poetry, to perform poetry, mm -hmm. and um, so in. Uh, uh, in technicians of the sacred, there's, I, uh, it's not a question of you know picking the, the you know the, the the best, the most choice example, the, you know the most refined, the most you know that that that, that wasn't uh, in it. But it was a, a possibility for me of exploring uh, different ways in which language has been used, uh, and with technicians of the sacred, sometimes in for us surprising places where we would not have expected. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, poetry to uh, like folk uh, songs, to exist. For example, well, or... folk songs, uh, cultures without writing systems. So, a big emphasis on uh, in, on, on orality. Uh, that is poetry outside of uh, of writing. Mm -hmm. uh, so, in that sense, non non literary, non literal poetry. So, do you think perhaps what Baker was getting at was was the fact that anthologies. And I think uh, Robert Graves and mm -hmm. Laura Riding made that same point back in the 20s, yeah. that you're kind of plucking things out of context. Well, there's a plucking out of context also. Generally, uh, the, the teaching anthologies do begin to appear with uh, contextual material, mm -hmm. uh, you know, to assist in the, 
uh, in, in, in the teaching process. Uh, the old golden treasury kind of anthologies, Paul Grave and so on, going back into the 19th century. Uh, and, you know, pretty much, you know, the, the poems themselves, you know, it's, it's, it's fair enough. For the beginning with Technicians of the Sacred, uh, yeah, I had uh, a preference in constructing an anthology uh, to include contextual material, material emphasizing both the uh, historical cultural place of the, uh, of the poetry, uh, you know, but also its relevance uh, to our contemporary situation as writers and readers of poetry, you know, at this particular time in this particular place. So you gave the poets uh, space to explicate what they were trying to say, or well, I certainly gave myself <laughs> space <laughs> okay. to, to do that. But but in doing that, uh, you know, very often it would, you know, go back to uh, to statements out of that culture where poets were identified, uh, statements you know by the poets about the circumstances of being a poet or a singer or. A, storyteller. Um. So were you trying to legitimize what this particular group was doing or bring them, not even legitimize, but bring them to the consciousness of the mainstream or? Well, that was part of what I was doing, uh, mm. to raise our estimation you know, of the culture and the mindset and the accomplishment of, of peoples who had been read out of the picture of you know, quote, civilization. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, and, and that's specifically technicians of the sacred. Uh, that they didn't have a voice, for example? Uh, well, that uh, they were not given a voice, they were not allowed a, a voice. Platform. Yeah, yeah, a platform. And, and that I could see myself as, you know, as contributing, you know, to giving them a voice. Uh, you know, but also if, um, if I carried on any sense of a teaching anthology, it was uh, you know, for the instruction of myself and my contemporaries. I mean, not, not within an academic, mm -hmm. you know, context, uh, uh, although the book has often enough been used uh, that way. But, uh, but uh, when you coming out it. of the 1960s when there was a hope of, uh, you know, a kind of a widespread dissemination of, uh, of poetry uh, within the culture and to some degree transforming the culture, uh, you know, that this might be a contribution to what we were trying to develop ourselves as, uh, as poets, as writers, as thinkers, as, as sentient beings. It's interesting that back in the 20s, uh, that there has been a, a sort of a historical connection between African Americans and the anthology. Mm -hmm. And again, I guess uh, it gets to this idea of, what, championing Championing? Well, no, in a situation like that... It's Alan, like, sorry, Alan, or Alain Locke's New Negro Anthology of 1925. Yeah, I don't know it, but uh -huh. I would imagine that the, um, the circumstances there are, are of, uh, you know, a neglect of uh, poetry published by African Americans, that, or written by. Uh, so... You know, seeing that as a, as a neglected area, mm -hmm. neglected work, you know, as um, a, f a false perception of a, a people being, you know, non-literate without, you know, what, what, whatever it was that, you know, that the absence of uh, uh, African-American poetry in other anthologies, 
you know, and its little publication, uh, you know, by uh, mainstream uh, publishers, mm -hmm. you know, then you know, just to put out an anthology, mm -hmm. a collection, a gathering of work by African American uh, poets, you know, it is itself making a statement. Uh, as later uh, with women's anthologies, with uh, uh, anthologies uh, by gay writers, uh, you know, and American Indian. Uh, anthologies, mm -hmm. any uh, kind of underrepresented, and any yeah. kind of underrepresented, you know, an anthology can be one way of responding and trying to correct the situation. Which is uh, again, according to uh, according to Jeremy Braddock, mm -hmm. collecting as a modernist practice. Mm -hmm. This is what uh, I think Ezra, Ezra Pound saw. Braddock quotes a, a very popular anthology called Georgian Poetry. Mm. It went on. It sold something like twenty thousand copies, mm. and I think Pound saw that as a as a new vehicle through which to introduce his theories and ideas. And well, that is sort the anthology as a vehicle. Yes, as yeah. a tool. Yeah, as a as a. It's almost. Uh, I think the the idea here was that it it rep, it replaced the poet laureate. Mm -hmm. You know that kind of institutionalized method of. Um, no, and, and, and Pound put together an anthology of his own that he called uh, an active anthology. Mm -hmm. You know, so Pound got into the uh, business, or the art of you know of, of making anthologies. Yeah. You know, and, and occasionally the the, uh, the anthology, you know, even earlier in the twentieth century, uh, you know, became a vehicle uh, for uh, a, uh, a a new movement or a new direction. Uh, in, uh, uh, in in poetry, a anthologies, you know, and uh, you know, and, and magazines could you know simultaneously uh, serve uh, the purpose of of, of publicizing a, a a new movement or a new approach to writing or to art. Uh. It's interesting too that the whole the process of anthologizing is a lot is, it, is a lot like actually writing poetry because you're sort of borrowing poems from other poets to form a body that, that then stands on its own uh, like a collection of poetry. Yeah, well that came to be, you know, really at, at the heart of my own approach uh, to, uh, to poetry. That, and one of the reasons why I, I, I really do favor the term assemblage, uh, you know, even given the French pronunciation, assemblage. It's collecting, it's appropriating, it's putting together, it's assembling, it's constructing, you know, so it becomes a work in itself. For me, it's, uh, it's, like a, it's a work. It's, it's, it's like yeah. writing a, you know, a big uh, poem, the building blocks of which are uh, poems by others, sometimes including myself, because mm -hmm. I'm not shy about, you know, entering into the, the anthologies on my own. Uh, you know, and then makes makes you feel that I've probably gone about as far as I should go with anthologies because you begin to repeat yourself. Uh, you find a structure uh, for putting these things together, which is different from how anthologies were were usually put together. Uh, and for me, it's it's the poem, and this goes back to an earlier question of yours. The the poem, what I call you know the commentary on the poem. Mm -hmm. You know, and the poem and the commentary are are linked uh, together. You know, and the commentary also opens up. The commentary is not only a way of providing context for the for the poem, uh, you know, but it uh, brings in related materials from our own time or from 
times and poets and languages quite distant from you know from what is being presented as uh, you know as as the poem. So there's a you can kind of spin the thing out further with uh, with, with with the commentaries. It began for me in, in technicians of the sacred. Took it in some different directions with the the, the next anthology I did, which was of American Indian poetry, Shaking the Pumpkin. I think, with one or two exceptions, I've done about 10 or 11 anthologies, one or two exceptions, you know, there's, there's always uh, a lot of structuring that takes place. And the vision of the anthology uh, into uh, sections, so it's never uh, uh, an uninterrupted run of uh, uh, selections. Uh, you know, but uh, one divides it into, I used to use the, uh, and still do, uh, the term uh, galleries. Oh, First yes. gallery, yes. second gallery, third Which gallery. Which is interesting. This is what Braddock uh, is he's drawing the analogy to exhibitions and curators mm -hmm. and, and that sort of thing. Uh, yeah, so no, no, obviously the, you know, that's the, you know, it's, it's the metaphor of the ex exhibition. Uh, a book of visions, a book of spells, a book of... Uh, but I guess what about the objection that who are you to do this, and this comes up, you know, you're a, you're a white Jewish guy, who are you to write a, pull together an anthology and tell the world what, what our poetry's all about, or our, you know? Uh, well, you know, the question, uh, you know, does come up. Yeah. Uh, you know, one of my noted anthologies is, uh, is uh, what was originally called A Big Jewish Book, okay. uh, Poems and Other Visions of the Jews from Tribal Times to the Present. Yeah. You have every right to do it. It's just I'm sure, you know, given the nature of current political uh, environment, there are groups that would object to it, right? Uh, yeah. Well, back in the, uh, in the 60s, 70s, when, uh, you know, the first two uh, anthologies were coming up. Uh, from some people, there were the objections, and there, there were discussions that we went through uh, on that. And uh, uh, you know, in the long run, I think the work, uh, even you know, from that perspective, uh, you know, did more good than uh, harm. You know, by a long shot. Well, so the I, fact I that you're uh, making it available to people, and uh, I mean, most poets, I would imagine, would be thrilled to be included in an anthology. Uh, yeah. Well, of course, in, in the ethnopoetic anthology, there is very often no poet around, you know, to be thrilled yeah. by yeah. it. You know, yeah. or if you're doing, uh, you know, if you're doing ancient, you yes. know, working with ancient texts, right. you know, uh, clearly, you know, who, whoever gonna... made the work is, you know, is long gone. Right. Uh, long Their lawyers dead. aren't going to get a hold of uh, Yeah, so, it, you know, it constructs a picture of a of a people or maybe a related series of peoples, and I'm thinking specifically of, uh, you know, a shake in the pumpkin. Uh, and, uh, you know, and that's shaped by, you know, by my approach to it, and I try to make that clear in introductory, uh, you know, statements, uh, uh, you know, with the hope that, uh, I mean, there's always an intervening, uh, you know, anthologist or author, you know, who comes into the, uh, in, in, into the picture, and, uh, you know, certainly I, there's no intention to create a, you know, a, a, a canon of American uh, Indian poetry, both oral and, uh, you know, and, and, and written. Um, it's just your, I mean, your, mo your motivation was, hey, this is important stuff and uh, people should know about it. Would, would that be right? Uh, oh, that, that was, uh, yeah, that was certainly a central part of the motivation. Mm -hmm. Something like that. Yeah, this is a simplification. <laughs> I want to get just to uh, 
These, these are early criticisms of, of the anthology as a form. And again, it's uh, Robert Graves, and uh, just to get your, your take. Okay, so they uh, produced a pamphlet against, and it's called it, A Pamphlet Against, against anthologies. anthologies, yes. And I'm quoting again from Braddock's book. This was an even is it, more... Is Graves in writing? That's, yeah, that's yeah, right, yeah. yes. This was an even more combative text that decried the several forms of trade anthologies or commodities destined for inst instructional, narcotic, patriotic, religious, humorous, and other household uses that they held to be exemplary of the ruinous commercialization of poetry and possessing a promiscuously collective form that violated the autonomy of the individual poem and poet. Well, that's pretty good. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, I would begin with a, a position against anthologies. You know, so one way of thinking about, in my own terms, what I'm doing, you know, maybe to think of it as an anti-anthology. The, the emphasis on commercialization is interesting. I, I think, uh, though the same arguments are you know, often repeated, it's probably more ac academicizing of, uh, of, of poetry. You know, than the commercializing of poetry. Uh, you know, though, though I have a feeling for where that's coming from. And uh, you know, yeah, I, because I, there I really never was it. much commercial benefit to writing poetry, was there? Uh, well, they're not talking. I, I don't think of the commercial benefit to the anthologizing. No. You know, so much as the commercial use that the uh, turning it into yeah, a commodity. Turning it into a commodity, although both Graves and uh, well, certainly Graves had, you know, had his own uh, publishers, yeah. uh, you know, who were, if as often as not, uh, uh, you know, commercial houses. Uh, Castle. Yeah, writing Castle. is a is a more peculiar figure. Writing goes from a screed against anthologies to uh, an, an attack on poetry. Uh, you know, an essay, poetry, a lying word up in some form of logical positivism. Or <laughs> well, she, went, she actually dumped Graves, didn't she, and f left him for someone else? Uh, yeah, though I don't, think it was over, I don't think it was over issues like that. Oh, it wasn't? Okay. <laughs> he just he's fed up with poets, uh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but then she married a man named Skylar Jackson, who was uh, maybe more of a, of a rationalist. And, you know, between the two of them, they, they went after you know, poetry as such. I, I will not go into my <laughs> Laura writing account, but, uh, but putting her into, you know, a certain anthology was a very difficult procedure. You know, it cost me a, a lot of uh, effort. But yeah, I'm she has that reputation. I, I just interviewed quite a well-known uh, uh, antiquarian book dealer mm -hmm. who had some dealings with her. And, uh, yeah, yeah, so... She was, no, she was obviously a a tough cookie. Yeah, okay, we'll leave it at that. Uh, yeah. But br that brings up an interesting uh, topic, and that is, uh, what about authors, poets, whose work works are included in anthologies, uh, and, but, but then sort of included as part of an argument that the anthologist is making, and maybe they don't like this, they don't like the overall argument that the, the anthologist is making. Do you, do you run into that? Laura Riding. Okay. Uh, no, she took issue 
uh, I, with me. I was including her in an anthology, a little less highly structured than, than the other anthologies uh, that I did called Revolution of the Word. Uh, and it was uh, American avant-garde or experimental uh, writing between the two world wars, mm -hmm. which I thought had, you know, had come to be neglected. You know, and that included a, a, a significant part of Laura Riding's own opus. But she had turned to, she didn't like that. I guess she caught wind of uh, Gertrude Stein's presence uh, in, in the book. And uh, you know, uh, when I wrote to ask permission uh, from her, she became very suspicious of some of the terms you know, that I was using. She insisted on uh, a self-presentation of her work, not for me in the uh, accompanying note or commentary, uh, you know, but she herself, I, I don't know if I, uh, if I cut myself finally entirely out of the picture or just gave most of it over to her. Mm -hmm. You know, that was fine. I understood what she was doing. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't agree with her view of, uh, you know, avant-garde or experimental or whatever, uh, you know, but, uh, uh, you know, I, I appreciated, you know, that she did not want to give up her, even though she had given up poetry, she did not want to give up her own self-representation. Control over control. how, you know, how the you world know, sees her. She would not cede it to me, you know, and that seemed fine. But I did want to include because I, I, thought, I thought her work, uh, you know, was, was important uh, to the kind of thing that I was trying to present or represent. Do you see the anthology as a tool to um, affect change in the world? Then? Well, yeah, no, I, uh, I have an essay somewhere uh, called The Anthology as Manifesto. Seeing the uh, anthology as uh, a, a, a tool to affect changes uh, in the in the writing of poetry, I, you know, I like to think of it as uh, changing by opening up to, to, to neglected forms and uh, contexts and uh, languages and you know and, and, and so on. But uh, you know, but but changing and uh, uh, so not preserving. No. You know, although there's something to be said for that. Yeah. You know, but uh, but changing and, and, and transforming, transforming what we do now, what we may do in the future, and also how we look at what has been done in the past, uh, because that also comes open to uh, uh, to change from uh, necessary change from our own perspective. So, can you uh, can I dig deeper into that? So, how would how how would that work? Just okay, you present it. So you've preserved it in that sense. You've, you're presenting it in, in the sense that you've got an, a sort of an overall thesis, and this particular work is a good example of of that thesis. Can you give some specifics? Yeah, well, it, it, it can be it can be done in uh, in in that way. There was a series of anthologies that I got involved in, always with a, a collaborator, uh, called Poems for the Millennium, as we were approaching year 2000. The first two were a new representation uh, of the poetry of the 20th century. And uh, I was given the opportunity through the anthology of, of rereading, reconsidering 
the history of, uh, of 20th century uh, poetry. Huge you know, project. Yeah, right. So not the way it's presented here and here and here, uh, you know, but uh, you've, you know, you've forgotten these figures, you've forgotten this uh, uh, type of poetry, uh, uh, you're not looking at, uh, at poetry that uses visual forms, you're not looking at, uh, at poetry uh, that uh, eliminates words and concentrates on sounds, you're uh, badly playing down poetry that uses prose as its medium, uh, you know, any, any number of, uh, of things that, uh, you know, that we've, we've correct. You know, and also these you know, significant uh, figures and movements in 20th century poetry you know, have been you know, virtually cast aside in, in the standard anthologies. By the, by the establishment? Good catch-all name for it. Yeah, by the establishment. Uh, so you try to sort of take the blinkers off and say, uh, I'm not going to judge what's good or bad. I'm going to just say these were. This is what happened. Well, this is what happened that I or we, you know, judge to be important, you know, and possibly useful for us, either where we've come from, you know, or we, where we hope to be going. Important or useful meaning. Meaning what? That as uh, as makers of poetry, as writers of uh, of, of poetry, uh, you know, we can learn more about the um, the art that we're practicing. If we don't neglect that work, or sometimes if if we even foreground that work, the rehabilitation. Well, I, I don't even know if that's the right term because I don't, I don't know what there was to rehabilitate. Mm. But you know, uh, the, uh, the the changing position of uh, of William Blake. Yeah. Uh, you know, since I've been around for a while, <laughs> uh, when I was uh, in high school, college, you know, Blake was uh, still regarded as a minor poet. Yeah. Uh, yeah printer, I, right? Or, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, artist. You know, an eccentric. Engraver. Eccentric. Yeah. 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 Minor poet. Northrop Fry cha uh, championed him, though. Uh, well, no, no. Some people began to champion him, yeah. you know, as something more than that. When I finally got around in the third volume of Poems for the Millennium mm -hmm. uh, to do a reconsideration of Romanticism under the rubric, uh, you know, experimental Romanticism. Oh, so you actually went back to sort of trace the original influences on the 20th century, then, too, uh, with this thing. Uh, yeah, the, in the, in the third volume of Poems yeah. for the Millennium. Uh, with the assistance of a, a romanticist, a scholar, but also well-versed in contemporary uh, poetry, Jeffrey Robinson. Uh, we did a recasting of, uh, uh, of romanticism, not, not only in, uh, in England, in the English-speaking world, you know, but uh, you know, throughout Europe uh, you know, and uh, you know, outside of Europe as well. So, but anyway, in that, where I started, uh, William Blake, emerges, you know, as the great romantic poet. And he's approaching that kind of status now. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, so the first, uh, the first gallery, the first section of uh, the Romanticism book, uh, you know, begins with uh, entitling it by the names of, you know, the authors who set it off, Blake and Goethe. Now, to put Blake you know, on the level of, uh, of Goethe, say, you know, we must consider him as seriously 
you know, as the great Goethe, mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, because he's the, uh, you know, what, what he does, what he's done, deserves that kind of consideration. Well, we deserve giving it that kind of consideration because it's all to our good to do that. Uh, so that's a, a way of rethinking. So you're almost, the, you're the kind past. of anthologizing the, the past as well. You're sort of, you're, you're opening up, you're championing. It seems to me that that word really mm -hmm. does apply. For example, like a, a poet like John Macefield. Yeah. I, I went I back and read some of it, and I, th and I think it's really quite good, but mm -hmm. he's was out of, and I don't think he still is out of faith. I, I think he still is. So is it just, it's almost like the art world again, where if you've got a dealer who, <laughs> you mm. know, has, is connected and articulate, then the, the value of that art will appreciate. It's as much the, the dealer or the anthologist that that creates demand or interests as, as anyone else. Well, sort of, let's say, contributes to raising the stakes or raising the interest. You know, there are a lot of factors that go into the transformation of uh, Blake from minor poet, you know, to, to major figure, uh, a romanticism in the image of Blake is a very emphatically recast romanticism. And, uh, you know, I do not mean to say that I, you know, am alone responsible for no. this, you know, which would be a gross exaggeration. I'm just saying that Blake, you know, has now come into that kind of consideration, you know, which he did not have uh, 50 or 60 years ago. Actually, I guess it's 60 years ago, you know, when well. I, I came upon Blake <laughs> And you know, found from my own, from my instructors, and from the books I was reading, you know, that I was dealing with a quote minor poet. Is that a big part of what motivates you? Is that hey, wait a minute, these people are being uh, overlooked, and they really were um, uh, impressive. Yeah, but it's it's not just a question of the overlooked people. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, I have a feeling, for, you know, for that. The underdog. It's a question, yeah, but even with the overdog, that the overdog you know, has done things you know, that, that we can use. And, and I'm generally just doing this from the perspective of we as poets, mm -hmm. you know, although yeah. this would hold you know, for the readership and for the world. So, uh, you know, to take, um, take a poet like, uh, first thing that comes to mind, you know, Coleridge, who, you know, for certain of the works at least, you know, we love very much. You know, we see, the, you know, the magical works connecting to, you know, to so much else that comes, uh, that comes later. Uh, you know, but looking at, the, at the, the, the Coleridge corpus, you know, if you look into the notebooks, uh, certain prose writings in there, you know, you know all, all, all sorts yeah. of magical, marvelous things come into view. So uh, we're not creating a coal, we're not creating coal, we're, no. we're in a way trying to recreate him a little. Discover. We, we, can, we, don't, we can't give him more status uh, than he has. Uh, you know, we don't do it out of uh, a, a sympathy for a neglected Coleridge or a neglected Wordsworth. Or, with Shelley, we 
think a bad case was made against him by Eliot and others, and uh, you know, and so for the love of Shelley, <laughs> you know, to, to find a, you know a new way of representing him, you know, but he's, Shelley has never been a forgotten poet, and uh, yeah. and so on. But it, but it's 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 very for me very exciting to go back into the uh, into the past and practice this kind of assemblage, uh, you know, in relation to work going back into very ancient times, uh, you know, as I do in a big Jewish book and, and, and in other, uh, uh, you know, anthologies, right back, try to trace it back to the beginnings of consciousness. The genealogy. And, and, yeah, and, and then in the most recent big book I've done, I, did, I turned the same technique on myself, you know, and uh, treat uh, something that they're, they call a reader, you know, of my work as a, uh, as an anthology of the work and structure it along the same lines as um, the anthology of other people's mm -hmm. works. Just finally then, are you satisfied with what you've done? Am I satisfied? Well, I'm, I'm glad that I've done it. It's, it's, a, it's kept me busy over um, you know, an extended period of time. I mean, if, if we just started with Technicians of the Sacred, uh, 68, that was uh, you know, 45 years ago, uh, and I was working on it before that. A lot of the ideas were percolating, you know, for, I think at least 10 years before uh, the book itself uh, came out. So, um, Is there anything you're particularly proud of having done? Well, people have encouraged me to be proud of uh, Technicians of the Sacred, which is, uh, is the first one, uh, you know, and it's the one that uh, I think is referenced by others you know, more, more than anything else. So, I, you know, I feel good about, uh, I feel good about that one, but I, I see a series of these uh, uh, books as forming a, a, a continuity you know, I don't know if anybody else wants to look at them in, uh, in, in, in those terms. Uh, you know, where technicians of the sacred is the beginning. Uh, you know, but uh, you know, but the work has continued from you know from volume to volume. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, which means although I do not consider, never considered myself, a, you know, a prolific writer. In the end, if you put these books together and and, and then add the separate books of, uh, of poetry, which are quite numerous. Uh, yeah, so, for better or worse, uh, you know, it's, it's leaving a few thousand, easily a few thousand pages of, uh, of, of work. But it's, it's the uh, yeah, I uh, feel good to have been involved in that continuity. Helping, uh, helping others, I suppose, to, to get heard. Uh, well, sometimes that's, uh, you know, that's, that's an offshoot and, uh, and, and not on... Unintended, um, uh, you know. Sometimes you do something at a, at a certain point, and nobody else is doing it. Uh, in technicians of the sacred, uh, in, in the commentaries, you know, I'm bringing forward a writer like Gertrude Stein, who maintained the celebrity status, but was not taken seriously as a, you know, as a poet. Uh, at, the, at that point, putting her in uh, to the book may have a, a little advanced. The, the visibility of uh, of her poetry, uh, you know, but that would have happened anyway. So one doesn't, you, you, you don't take, you know, credit for that. But you feel kind of good that you've done it. So. Well, thanks very much for right. sharing. Right, thank you. 
for the conversation.